Luke chapter number 21. I want to begin reading in verse number 25. Luke 21, verse 25. Pick it up in the middle of the sermon Jesus Christ preached on the Mount of Olives. And we're wrapping up this uh, series on the Olivet Discourse in our service this morning. Verse number 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Luke chapter number 21 in your Bibles this morning. Don't we love the light that's at the end of the tunnel? When you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you know, oh, Relief is in sight. The darkness will finally fade away and everything's going to be all right. We love that light that's at the end of the tunnel. Well, this morning's message, the bottom line up front of the morning message is that the anticipated coming of Jesus Christ shapes my life. That Jesus Christ is coming, but not just that he's coming, that we anticipate His coming shapes my life. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the glory that is coming. And all of the craziness of our world kind of falls off to the side when we focus on the light that's at the end of the tunnel and know that relief is coming down the road. You know, everyone needs a life-shaping purpose for living. What's your purpose for life? And does that purpose shape your life? Does your purpose on earth shape how you live? Well, certainly it does. It does for everybody. Whatever your purpose is, that's going to impact how you live your life. And your life's purpose will shape you into the person that you are. And that is so true of the anticipated second coming of Jesus Christ. If our life purpose is wrapped up, in the appearance of Jesus Christ and His plan for planet Earth, then that shapes us. That shapes what kind of people we become. And at the end of Jesus' life, things were looking pretty dark. It's like being in the middle of a tunnel. And it's so, so very dark. And at the end of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, things were looking really dark. And He looked at His apostles that were gathered there with him just a couple of days before his crucifixion. And he told his followers, focus on the light that's at the end of the tunnel. If you'll focus on the light that's at the end of the tunnel, you'll know it's all going to work out. It's all going to end well. And then over and over, through the, the writing of the New Testament, as God inspired the recording of his New Testament... Over and over again, 
God brings His people back to the theme of the anticipated coming of Jesus Christ. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's life-shaping if you anticipate it, if you focus on it, if you meditate on it, if you look forward to it. It has the power to shape our lives. And over and over, as we read the New Testament, we run into passage after passage after passage that holds up the light that's at the end of the tunnel and then encourages us to be influenced by that, to be shaped by that. And the New Testament, when it finally draws to an end, in the very last phrase, the last couple of statements made at the end of the book of Revelation, the Bible gives us a prayer to pray. And the prayer is, even so come, Lord Jesus. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the last prayer of the New Testament. It's the reminder that we've got to stay focused on the light at the end of the tunnel. And if you stay focused on the light at the end of the tunnel, all the junk around you kind of becomes less important. It becomes less impactful. It becomes less meaningful when you focus on the light that's at the end of the tunnel. This expectation began with Jesus' own teaching. Jesus is the one that launched this expectation. He's the one that spoke of the light that's at the end of the tunnel. And his most complete teaching of that, we call the Olivet Discourse. The sermon that we've been studying for a few messages now. We call it the Olivet Discourse because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives with his apostles at the end of the day on Tuesday, just two days before he'll be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and then crucified. And there on the Mount of Olives, they look across the Kidron Valley at the, the gorgeous temple that King Herod had built and had renovated and enlarged and and the decor, the, the gleaming white marble, the gold plating, the, it was just an unbelievable sight. The most beautiful building in the entire world at the time. And they looked at that building and the apostles said to Jesus, at the end of a long, difficult day of teaching there on the temple platform, they said to Jesus, look at that amazing building. And Jesus said, you, you think that's amazing? Well, the day's going to come where it's going to be torn to the ground and not one stone will be left on another. And they began to ask questions. What do you mean? When's that going to happen? When's the end of the world going to happen? When are you coming back? And so Jesus Christ sat down on the Mount of Olives and began to answer their questions. It's all about the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's called the Olivet Discourse. We've been studying that, and in our last two messages, we have heard Jesus teach about the well-known theme of catastrophic judgments that will end life on planet Earth. We went to the Old Testament preachers. We looked at what Jesus said. We looked forward to the prophetic scriptures in Revelation, and we, we looked at these catastrophic judgments that Jesus Christ is speaking to them about, judgments that would destroy the governments of the world, the economies of the world, the ecology of the world, judgments that will cause the heavens to roll up as a scroll and shut out the light of the, of the sun. God's turning out the lights on planet Earth. The Earth's going to be hit by planetary objects and planets that are moving through space because God has just shook the whole universe. And then as, as the earth is struck, it tilts, it goes off, it moves. And all of a sudden, tsunamis all over the world, tectonic plates shift. It's devastation, it's tragedy like this world has never seen before. And we looked at those catastrophic judgments a couple of messages back and the impact they will have on a world that rejected Jesus Christ as Jesus passes judgment on such a world. Then we, in, in the, uh, the last message we looked at, we saw Jesus teach of his immediate return to earth in power and great glory at the end of those catastrophic judgments. His feet will land on the Mount of Olives, the mountain of olives that, that he is sitting on teaching this, He'll come back to the very mountain that he was sitting on, and the mountain will split into two. 
And, uh, and we saw Jesus teach about his second coming at the end of all of these judgments as he comes back to deal with a worldwide rebellion. And his coming is the light at the end of the tunnel. It's what Jesus Christ has been talking about throughout the Olivet Discourse. Now, having taught such things, Jesus draws this sermon to a close by telling a parable and making some applications. The parable is a very simple parable. And the applications are very straightforward and impactful to people's lives. And so this morning, we want to wrap up the Olivet Discourse by looking at the parable and the applications that Jesus Christ makes to at the end of this sermon. And so, so what, what will we find to be the focus of these final verses? Well, let's ask two questions and let Jesus Christ answer those questions. They appear there on your little sermon worksheet. Uh, question number one is, when will Jesus come back? That's the million-dollar question. When will Jesus come back? So go with me back to Luke chapter 21. Look with me at verse number 29. Verse number 29. He spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see. And know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye... That the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So Jesus Christ told a simple parable. And it really is a very simple parable. It's the parable about the famous fig tree. The fig tree that has been so abused over the years uh, with regards to Bible prophecy. And, and this generation. Who in the world is this generation? What is the fig tree? And who is this generation? Well, those are, those are the two things that are a big part of this parable that Jesus Christ told. And it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Let's take the fig tree first. Jesus taught them that when you look at a fig tree, and he said in verse number 29, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. He said, look at the trees. By the way, when Jesus taught this on the Olivet Discourse, it was at Passover. It was Passover week. You know when Passover week happens every year? It's in the springtime. So it's springtime in Israel. The trees are budding and, and, and coming out in their, in their flowers. And, and Jesus Christ is... They're on the Mount of Olives, which, which has uh, all the, the olive trees. And, and all over that mountain, there were trees that were budding and flowering. And, and Jesus Christ said, just look around you. Look at the fig trees. Look at all the trees. You know, when you see a tree begin to shoot forth a tender little limb and buds appear on that little limb and then, and then they break open into flowers. You know, when you see that happen every year, you know... You know summer is right around the corner. And every year you see that. Every year you see a tree. Doesn't have to be a fig tree. It could be any tree. Jesus said the fig tree and all the trees. When you see the trees bud forth, shoot out that tender bud and, and, and open into it, you know summer is just right around the corner. Spring is in the air. Now, you know what the fig tree is? Well, some have different answers over the years of, uh, of uh, uh, those who, who dealt with prophecy and prophetic passages of Scripture. Some have tried to make the fig tree representative of the nation of Israel. They say, well, well this, what this really means is the fig tree is the nation of Israel. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit had Luke uh, add, and all the trees. You know, that kind of wipes that idea out real quick. The fig tree throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, was used in a lot of different parables and passages as an illustration. And it illustrated a lot of different things. One of the things in one of the passages, it really did represent Israel. But that passage and that use of a fig tree as an illustration was only one of many 
things that the fig tree was used to illustrate. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit had Luke add the phrase, and all the trees, because that really takes out the idea that this is a specific tree or a specific anything. Now, Jesus Christ is speaking of a common event in everyone's lives. Every spring you see fruit trees bud, and you know spring is right around the corner. So you know what the fig tree is? In, in the prophetic scripture here, in, this, in the intricacies of the theology of this prophetic passage, a fig tree represents a fig tree. And that's all it represents. It represents a fig tree. Or any other flowering tree represented whatever kind of flowering tree it was. Jesus Christ was simply saying, when you see any flowering tree begin to push out a bud, you know it's springtime. And that's what Jesus Christ meant. And that's all he meant when he said, the fig tree, you know summer is now at high. So likewise ye, when ye shall see these things come to pass, ye know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I send you this generation... Now, who in the world is this generation? Jesus, in his applying of the parable to the, to the truth he wants to convey, he says the fact that when you see a tree bud out, you know that summer is nigh. Likewise, when you see all these things happen, you'll know the kingdom of God is nigh at hand and this generation shall not pass away till all that I've said is fulfilled. Who in the world is this generation? I like Mark. Mark said it this way in Mark 13 where Mark records this same sermon. Mark said, know that it is nigh even at the doors. The kingdom of God is... is it's, so close that Jesus is right there standing at the door, ready to come. Even at the doors. What are these things? And that will answer who this generation is. What are these things? Likewise, ye, when ye see these things. Well, all we have to do is to go back and read what he just said. And what did Jesus Christ just say? Well, you can go back to verse number 10 and 11 when he said, Nations, plural, shall rise against nation, singular, kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places and famines and pestilences. By the way, you realize why I said nations, plural, shall rise against nation? Because some have tried to make this be fulfilled in 70 A.D. when one nation rose against one nation. Rome rose up against Israel. But God said nations. The Bible talks about the day when all nations of the world will march against Israel. Nations against nation. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, famines and pestilences and fearful sights, and great signs shall be from heaven. And remember, we looked at that long parenthetical section he says but before that happens and so when we skip the parenthetical section verse 11 says great things shall there be from heaven great uh, uh, great signs shall there be from heaven verse number 25 there shall be signs in the sun moon and stars on the earth distress of nations perplexity the waves roaring men's hearts failing for fear looking after those things which are coming the powers of the heavens shaken these things, these things, when you see these things come to pass, when you see God turn out the sun, when you see God shake the heavens and planets begin to go out of orbit, when you see the earth shaken off its axis and all of a sudden tsunamis all over the world, the, the tidal waves crashing onto land, when you see tectonic plates shifting and all of a sudden the whole earth changes 
and the lights go out and everything fails. When you see these things, it's very easy to understand what Jesus is saying. It's self-explanatory. All you've got to do is read the text. Jesus Christ said, you have enough sense that when you see a fig tree or any tree bud, you know spring is in the air. So likewise, when you see all of these catastrophic judgments I've described, then you'll know, you'll know the kingdom of God is at hand. In the words of Mark, it's at the doors. Look up, look up. Your redemption draweth not. Jesus is at the door. He's ready to come back. King Jesus is about to come again. And this generation. Who is this generation? It's obvious who this generation is. It's the generation who sees all the cataclysmic events of the, of the years building up to the second coming of Christ. We've already learned the tribulation period is seven years. It's the 70th seven of Daniel's prophecy. It's a seven-year period. It'll be relatively calm in the first three and a half years, but at the three and a half year mark, the, uh, everything will change. The Antichrist will go into the temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. He'll declare himself to be God, and, and he'll lash out. The nations of the world will begin to march to destroy and annihilate Israel once and for all. All the tragedy of the earth breaks out. And this generation that sees these things happen will be here when Jesus comes back. This generation. When you see these things come to pass, you know Jesus is at the door. And he's about to come back and establish his kingdom on earth. This generation. Now, it's very simple to understand And yet, in the simplicity of just reading the text and letting the text interpret itself, and then you read the theologians and you get all kinds of crazy ideas. Uh, One of the the ideas that was expressed, has been expressed over the years, is that maybe this generation was the apostles that Jesus was talking to. Maybe they were the this generation. And this generation will see Jesus come back. Well, if that's what it means, the Bible failed. Jesus' prophecy failed. Because you don't see those cataclysmic events happening in the lifetime of the apostles. And Jesus didn't come back in glory and great power in the lifetime of those apostles. No, that, that can't be it. That's a total failure. Perhaps the most popular amongst those who hold to a Reformed theology is this generation is the generation that saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies that Jesus talked about in verse number 20 to 24 that we looked at in a previous message. That it was that generation, the ones that sees Titus and the Roman armies surround Jerusalem and tear Jerusalem down. That generation. Well, again, if that's what it means, and there, are, there have been books and books and books written to try to argue that this generation was the generation of 70 A.D. and that Jesus came back. He came back spiritually. They allegorize the Word of God. They don't take the Word of God literally. They, they, make, uh, they, they make it fit through allegorizing Scripture and assigning meanings that aren't there. And, uh, and, and books have been written to argue that Jesus came back in 70 A.D., came back spiritually. Satan was bound in 70 A.D. Did you know that Satan is bound in the pit today? He's been bound in the pit since 70 A.D. And uh, all the stuff you see wrong with this world, it's not because of Satan's fault. He's in a pit, uh, bound and secured by Jesus Christ. We're in the millennium. We've been living in the millennium for 2,000 years since 70 A.D. Well, the idea that this generation was the generation alive in 70 A.D. requires that you don't believe the Word of God the way it was written. You have to assign allegorizing meanings to simple phrases to be able to come up with that. But perhaps 
The view that has been more impactful in my lifetime and most of your lifetime is uh, the view that uh, Hal Lindsey suggested back in 1970. Back in 1970, Hal Lindsey wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Zondervan published it and it became a bestseller immediately. The New York Times declared that The Late Great Planet Earth was the best-selling non-fiction book written in the, in the 1970s. And that's, that's quite a statement. You take all the non-fiction books written in the 1970s, Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth was the best-seller of that whole genre of literature. This was an impacting book. And Hal Lindsey in The Late Great Planet Earth taught that the fig tree is the nation of Israel, and the budding of the fig tree is Israel becoming a nation in 1948, and this generation were the people who saw that happen. And that became a best-selling book, particularly around dispensationalists and those who believe in a premillennial coming of Jesus Christ, and that caught hold like wildfire. Now, the problem is, it's been a long time since 1948 when Israel became a nation. If my math serves me correct, that's what, 73 years ago? That's, that's, did I add that right? That's a long time ago. The generation that saw Israel become a nation in 1948, that generation will see Jesus Christ come back in power and great glory at the end of the tribulation? I don't think so. It's said that a generation is 40 years, which means... If that general idea of a generation is to be accepted, just for argument's sake, that would mean that Jesus had to return at the end of the tribulation by 1988. It's been a little while since 1988. That idea was a figment of Hal Lindsey's imagination. Because the Bible doesn't say that the fig tree was Israel. The Bible doesn't say the budding of the fig tree was 1948 when Israel became a nation. And that whole concept of that being what Jesus Christ is talking about, once we passed 1988, it kind of became, well, I guess another date setter is wrong. And we kind of put that on the, on the back burner again. By the way, how many of you were alive in 1948 and you were old enough to understand world events when Israel became a nation? Raise your hand real high. You were alive in 1948 and aware enough of... What was happening? I see one, two, three, four, five, six hands. Your entire generation was supposed to be alive when Jesus Christ came back. If Hal Lindsey was right. That doesn't hold water. The fig tree is a fig tree. These things are the catastrophic judgments. This generation is the generation on planet Earth when those catastrophic judgments occur. And that generation that sees those catastrophic judgments will be the generation on Earth when Jesus Christ returns in power and great glory. That is the simplicity of Scripture. Now, how certain are we that that's really going to happen? Well, look at verse 32. Verse 32, Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Notice Jesus said, Verily I say unto you. Well, when you see Jesus, when you hear Jesus say verily, you know what the word verily means, don't you? It means without a doubt. It means of a truth. It means this is certain. I mean, everything I say is certain, but this is certain, certain. And it's so certain that I'm going to say certain before I say it. Verily, I say to you, this will happen, Jesus Christ was saying. It is certain, 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 certain that that generation on the earth, when the catastrophic judgments of the tribulation occur, will be the generation that sees Jesus Christ come back in power and great Glory. Then look at verse number 33. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now, you know, everything Jesus says is true. But when you see Jesus twice in two verses 
Say, this is really going to happen. This is really going to happen. I mean, heaven and earth are going to pass away. But my words will never pass away. What I say is true. Even after the earth and the heavens are totally destroyed, my word is still true, impactful, and influencing people. I mean, that's pretty certain, isn't it? That really nails it down. When is Jesus coming back? I can tell you when he's coming back. can't tell you the day. can't tell you the hour. But the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. I can't tell you the day. I can't tell you the hour, but I can tell you the generation. I can tell you the time frame. Jesus Christ said, just as you have enough sense when you see a budding fruit tree to know that summer is near, when you see all these catastrophic judgments that I have predicted, when you see them happen, you'll know it's at the door. Jesus is about to appear. He doesn't tell us what day. He doesn't tell us what hour. But he tells us this will happen. And that generation will see it happen. Now, what impact should knowing all that have on me? Well, that's the second question. Does Jesus coming impact me now? Well, Jesus addressed that in verse 34. Notice in verse 34, he said, and take heed to yourselves. In verse number 36, he said, watch ye therefore and pray always. Jesus Christ turned the attention to the impact of knowing the future. Knowing the future is not just for fun. Knowing the future is just not a fun exercise of being able to understand some prophetic teaching. Knowing the future is designed to impact the lifestyle that a person leads. Knowing the future is designed to shape the life of a believer. The anticipated coming of Jesus Christ is a life-shaping event. The light at the end of the tunnel that shapes how we live. Well, how does it, how does it, it do that? How does that impact us? Well, the end of this world and the second coming of Jesus Christ, verse number 34b and 35, we're told that this day comes upon you unawares, and as a snare it shall come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. I want you to notice that the coming of Jesus Christ is called a snare. What's a snare? Well, a snare is what a trapper would have used at that time. Maybe a, a piece of string or a piece of light cord and, and a bent over branch and a little, a little stick that would hold the tension of the branch, a little trigger mechanism and, and, and the snare there. And when the, when the bunny rabbit comes by or whatever comes by and hits that trigger and all of a sudden the trigger releases the tension on the branch that's bent over, that thing flips up and that noose grabs around that bunny's wrap. The bunny rabbit's neck, and that bunny rabbit goes up in the air. It's been caught. Jesus Christ said here that the second coming of Christ is a snare. It's something that you, it's there, but if you don't think about it. It's there, but if you don't meditate on it. It's there, but you don't let it shape you as a person then the second coming of Jesus Christ becomes a snare. It's a devastating thing. Ask the bunny rabbit. It's devastating. It's going to be in the pot tonight for supper. I mean, it's a life-changing event for a bunny rabbit. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a life-changing event for the people on the earth at the time that it occurs. And Jesus Christ said most people are going to be unawares that Jesus Christ is about to return. And like the snapping of a snare, they're going to be caught. And like the bunny rabbit, once it's caught, it's dead. I mean, it's gone. And once that human being, once that snare, and the snare is triggered when Jesus Christ steps through the doors and comes back to the Mount of Olives. And the snare snaps. And then it's too late to think about the presence of the snare. 
It's too late to think, wow, look at that pretty piece of cord in a circle. And look at that branch that's been over beside it. It's too late to think about it. It's too late to imagine what it means. It's too late to wonder what it's going to do. It's too late to think about it. Once the snare snaps, it's too late. And so Jesus Christ tells us the future so that we will be shaped by that knowledge. How are we shaped by that knowledge? By the way, there are two such events. And, and uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 is phenomenally interesting in these two events. Two world events that happen suddenly, like the snapping of a snare. That once they happen, it's too late to react. Game over. You see, as human beings, we often look at the, few, look at the past and say, well, I can see what the past has been. I, I think that the future is going to kind of work. You know, it's happened this way. It's going to continue happening that way. The future. If I want to know the future, I look at the past and it's just going to kind of continue on. And, and I can look back and I can judge on the basis of the past. I can judge what the future holds. And we kind of get the idea that it's always been like this and it'll always be like this. Evolutionists believe that. That builds the entire system of evolution. The idea that what you see in the ground, that you can look at different things and you can calculate from what's happening now, you can calculate back and see how long it took to get to this point. And you can calculate in the future and what's going to continue to happen. And then God does something like Mount St. Helens and messes their whole thing, their whole thinking all up. Well, there are two catastrophic world events that the Bible tells about, in which when that snare snapped, life after that was diametrically different, dramatically different than life before that event. Second Peter chapter 3 argues that people mock the second coming of Christ on the basis of uniformity, uniformitarianism of evolutionary thought. That it's always going to be what it has in the past. And then God said, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. There are two events. There are catastrophic, catastrophic events that change life on planet Earth. The first was the global flood. And when that snare was sprung, life for eight people that lived after the flood was different than what they'd experienced in their lifetime before the flood. Everything's gone. The earth has changed. The topography of the earth has changed. Life has changed. Catastrophic event. Second Peter chapter 3 tells of that catastrophic event and then says that's what's going to happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. There will be a catastrophic event once it happens, you can't deal with it and come out ahead. And life after that catastrophic event will be dramatically different than life before that catastrophic event. And so, how should knowing that's coming, how should that impact me? Knowing that that's going to occur. Well, God gets real plain. In verse number 34, he said, take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves, lest anyone be overcharged. Take heed. Think. Think. Take heed. Hold your attention to. Pay attention to. Hold your mind to this. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, overweighted, overwhelmed, loaded up with burdens too heavy for you to bear. Lest you be overcharged with surfeiting, which is an old English word we don't use anymore. It means a, a, a physical result of having taken an intoxicant. It could mean that you are sick to your stomach. You have nausea. It could mean you have a traumatic headache because of the intoxicant that you had consumed. It's the party life that leaves you puking and a hangover. That's what he's saying. 
lest any of you just live the life of the world around you. Lest any of you just do what everyone else is doing. Party, have fun, think about what is in it for you. And you end up sick and and a headache and and, uh, drunkenness and, and the cares of this life so that that day comes upon you unawares. So Jesus Christ said, number one, pay attention. Pay attention. Think when you see world events. Think when you see things happening in the world. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't be like everybody else that is oblivious to the snare that they're dancing around. Don't be like everyone else who acts like God's never told us what's coming. Pay attention. Stay alert. Stay awake. And don't be overloaded with the sin and junk of this world to the point that it it, it, it causes you to be... Uh, what would what, what, what you can't feel anymore? What is it? Numb. Don't let the cares of this world and all the stuff the unsaved are doing cause you to be numb to the voice of God. Numb to the teaching of God. Numb to what God has told us is coming at the end of the tunnel. Stay awake. Pay attention. Don't be like the world. Flee to God. And then in verse 36... Watch ye therefore and pray always. Watch ye therefore. Watch. That, that comes from the old, from the idea of having a military watch, or we would call it a guard, so that the rest of the soldiers can get some rest and you've got centuries on guard. They're guarding around the encampment to, to keep anyone from coming in and wiping out the encampment. Watch. Be alert. Stay awake. See what's going on. Be alert and pray. 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 You know why? Because you don't want to be on the wrong side of this war. When the snare springs, it's too late to deal with it. Stay awake and pray. Because you don't want to be on the wrong side of this war. Now, verse number 36 says, stay awake and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape these things. That shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. The Son of Man, when he comes back, verse number 27 and 28, said the Son of Man is coming, power, great glory. The Son of Man comes back. Now, when, when the Son of Man comes back, you want to be counted worthy To escape all these things that shall come to pass and to be able to stand before the Son of Man as He returns. Well, what does that mean? That sounds a lot like work salvation. That sounds like make sure you've done everything right, you've been good enough so that you'll be accounted worthy. What does it mean to be accounted worthy? Well, let's end the message by turning our Bibles over to Revelation chapter number 7 because In Revelation 7, this exact scene is being foretold through the book of the Revelation. And what it means to be accounted worthy, to escape all that's happening to the world and stand before Jesus Christ at His coming is explained in amazing detail in Revelation chapter 7. I'm not going to read it all, but verse 9 To the end of the chapter. Let me read just a couple of the verses. Look at verse 9. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, kindred, people, tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. I like that. Luke said you want to be able to stand before the Son of Man. Notice that they are clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. He goes through discussing them. I'm going to just jump down to verse number 14. Verse number 14, same context, same group of people. Sir, thou knowest, and he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. These are the people that get saved during the time of catastrophic judgment in the second Half of the tribulation period, the great tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Woo! This isn't work salvation. This is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And during the tribulation, there will be people who did exactly what Jesus Christ said. When you see these things about to happen, starting to happen, you, you better, you better think, take heed, think, pay attention. You better wake up and be on guard and watch and you better pray. Because now is the time for you to get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because he's at the door. He's about to come back. And the Bible describes a great multitude of people who are saved during the great tribulation. Their robes are washed, made white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple? He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, thirst and not thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them nor heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them into the living fountains of water. Waters and God shall wipe away all tears. I mean, that's you, you jump back to the to the end of the book of Revelation and you read about the the second coming of Jesus Christ and then what He does for all of these people who get saved during the great tribulation and He wipes away all tears from their eyes and they're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they were paying attention. Because they were staying awake. Because when they saw what was happening in the world. They could go back to the Bible and see what Jesus said. And they could see what's happening next. And they could realize Jesus is at the door. He's about to burst open the door. And when He bursts open the door, mind you, earth is black. The sun has been extinguished. There is no light. Humanity is living in an eerie 24-7 midnight darkness without even a sun or without, without even a moon or a star. They're panicking. They're having heart attacks all over the world because they're scared to death. They're filled with distress. They're, they're filled with perplexity. They don't know what's going on. It's never been this way before. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that, that in that darkness and blackness, all of a sudden, Jesus bursts through in power and great glory. And everyone in the planet sees Him. It's too late now. But if in the last couple of years, while you were dealing with all of this and seeing it happen, if you went back to the Bible and you paid attention and you began to pray and seek God, Jesus Christ will wash your sins away. And when He comes, you'll stand before Him, accounted worthy to escape the imminent being cast into hell because you paid attention to the Word of God. You say, well, preacher, we're not seeing these events right now, so this probably doesn't have any impact on us now. Well, I beg to differ with you. I put it at the end of your worksheet. Knowing the future impacts today, because if you study Romans 13 and 2 Peter 3, you will read two challenges to our generation. And it's been true for 2,000 years, where God said, if you focus on the light that is at the end of the tunnel, if you focus on what is coming down the pike, Live this way. You go back and study those passages that are written to Christian churches in the first century about how they should live their lives in the first century because they know what's coming down the pike. The Bible does not say to wait till the tribulation period and then be shaped by the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what Luke 21 teaches. That those alive then. But in other places in the New Testament, the Bible written to churches just like Community Baptist Church, God says to us, because you know the light at the end of the tunnel, this is how you have to be shaped by that knowledge. And you can study those in Romans 13 and in Second Peter 3. Let me read just one statement. 
The Bible says, seeing then, this is from 2 Peter 3, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Wherefore, beloved, seeing ye look for these things, be diligent that ye be found in him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Yes, to you and I today, the same admonition to stay alert, to watch, to be aware, to be thinking, to be getting ready, to, to be praying and seeking God, to be shaped, to be shaped by the light at the end of the tunnel is as much for you today as it is for the tribulation saints just before the second coming of Christ. Because every time God deals with prophecy, He says to the people of that generation, He says, now, you better be shaped by that knowledge. Live holy lives. Be godly people. Reach others for Jesus Christ. Why? Because I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I know the light that's coming at the end of the tunnel. One last statement here. You say, preacher, you've not said anything about the rapture. And the reason I haven't is because I'm preaching through the Olivet Discourse. And the Olivet Discourse does not mention the rapture any place in it. I've been preaching verse by verse, phrase by phrase, through what Jesus Christ taught on the Olivet, in the Olivet Discourse. The rapture is a really important teaching, but it's not in the Olivet Discourse. So, next Sunday night, a week from tonight, next Sunday night, I'm answering the question, where does the rapture fit in to everything you've preached for several weeks on the Olivet Discourse? Next Sunday night, 6 o'clock, we'll be looking at where the rapture fits into this whole line of truth that the Word of God reveals to us. Father, I'm thankful for your word, the power of doctrine, the power of truth. Lord, I pray that the truths that we've studied today will settle deep into our hearts, but more than that, that it will shape us, shape the decisions we make in life, shape us regarding what's important to us. Father, we can look around our world today and and it's never looked more certain that this horrible tribulation period is going to happen in this world 